Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in our series titled Jesus Worldview. And the title of the sermon today is How to Overcome Temptation. We are in Matthew chapter 4 in our Bibles. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 4. And we will cover verses 1 through 11. This is sermon number 6 in our series, Jesus Worldview. We call it Jesus Worldview because really this book of Matthew is one of the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, it is the story of his ministry, the story of his life that we have written down. And we get to look through not only his life, but also his teachings and what he wanted, specific things he wanted to impart to the 12 apostles or his 12 disciples who became the 12 apostles. And those 12 apostles took Jesus' teachings And they spread them to the church and to the rest of the world. And this is the view. This is the lens. This is the worldview. This is the culture. This is the ideas that our minds are to be living in and walking in. Really, it is the wisdom of God. The beginning of wisdom is to fear God and to know Him. This is the beginning of all wisdom. And... Really, our society today has gotten so far away from the things of God and so far from the fear of God, they live and do whatever they want without any regard, not even caring, wondering if there is a God who sees them. But we know that there is and that the Lord has set up a certain way of life, a certain way for society, a certain way for family, a certain way for marriage, a certain way for the church, and it is all written down here in the Bible. And so we get to take a fine comb and work through the book of Matthew, a gospel again of the story of Jesus. And it has been a joy already in these first five sermons. Today, sermon number six, how to overcome temptation. I heard of a little boy who went next door to play, even though his mom had warned him against doing so. And this worried his mom so badly that she asked him why he was so disobedient. And he replied that Satan had tempted him badly and he didn't know what to do as he kept going next door. And so his mom advised him, please, when Satan comes to tempt you, just yell at him, get behind me, Satan. And then whenever you are tempted, he will run away. So She then built a fence around the house because, again, he was going next door and getting into trouble. And so this worked for about a week. But then one sunny afternoon, his mom looked out the window and there was her son playing on the neighbor's lawn again. And there was a hole cut in the fence that she had built. She yells, Jeremiah, get over here. She then said, did I not tell you to say to him, get behind me, Satan, whenever he tempted you? And the little boy said, yes, I said, get behind me, Satan, mom. Then he went behind me and pushed me through the hole in the fence. <laughs> Satan did it. The devil made me do it, right? Yes. Temptation is what we will talk about today. Temptation is everywhere. It has haunted the human race for thousands of years. And it is something that we deal with on a daily basis. Now, don't we? 
Today we get to look at it closely. We get to watch Jesus be tempted by the devil himself. Last week we saw the baptism of the Lord Jesus by John the Baptist. And we talked about the baptism of the heart and what true repentance looks like. We saw the prophet John the Baptist rebuke the Pharisees for their hypocritical, self-righteous lives. And though looking religious on the outside, they were dead on the inside. We saw Jesus get baptized in obedience to fulfill perfect righteousness, only to give that righteousness to us, praise God. Today, Matthew's story transitions from the holy moment of Jesus' baptism, where the heavens opened up, the Spirit of God came down in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father from heaven spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We go from this beautiful moment straight into the temptation of Christ. From baptism to temptation. Interesting. Such a very holy moment to a very dark, heavy moment. Again, temptations plague everyone on the planet. From the child not doing what they know they're not supposed to be doing when their parents have told them no, the child being tempted over and over thinking, I know my dad, I know my mom told me not to do that. I'm going to do it anyways. Still doing it, still walking in those ways, or to the adult who knows better, but still has a pulling or drawing to do what is wrong when they know it can hurt them greatly. Let's talk about today how to overcome the temptation of sin. We are in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, you can do so. We always had done that at church and still talk about doing so at home uh, so that we can pay honor to God and remember whose Word we are reading. I just hope you're able to open a Bible and take a look at the text with me. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that we would please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, learn from the Lord Jesus in this temptation that we would grow in our understanding of you in our understanding of the enemy and how he tempts and tries to draw us away from relationship with you. And Lord, that we would see that we can overcome temptation by closer relationship with you, by knowing your word, 
by walking in it, by applying it to our lives. Lord, we ask that you would minister to us through this text. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is very interesting to note that at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he goes again from baptism straight into great temptation and testing. Straight away, he goes right into it. A very peaceful, uplifting moment to a great testing. And family, this is how it often happens in the believer's life. We go from these super encouraging spiritual moments to being tempted immediately. And I have experienced this in my own life. Oftentimes, after very beautiful, exciting moments spiritually, there are very heavy moments of tempting and testing that come upon you. And you're like, how did I just go to from mountain high to valley low? Um, this could happen in one day. This can happen in a, over a week period. This can be seasons of life. We go from very beautiful spiritual seasons to all of a sudden dark seasons. And this is, again, a very beautiful moment where Jesus walks out to John the Baptist and gets baptized before everyone. And then right away, it says, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he is tempted. Verse 1, let me read it again, because I want you to see the details. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This verse has layers of depth. Notice who leads Jesus into the wilderness. Not the devil. It is the Spirit of God who leads him into the wilderness. But who tempted Jesus? The devil. So the Spirit led him, but the devil tempted. Yes. Is this possible? R. Kent Hughes describes it as being God-ordained, the Spirit of God, but not God-inflicted, the devil. The Spirit of God ordained the wilderness, but the devil is the one who is inflicting. Do you know that God allows us to be tested? Do you know that God leads us to be tested? Look at Job. Do you remember Job in the Old Testament? God allows Satan to tempt him greatly, but it was only a test to prove God's sustaining power and Job's relentless devotion to the Lord. Remember, God even says, he's bragging on Job. He says, Satan, oh, what are you doing? Going to and fro throughout the earth? That's cool. Uh, have you considered my servant Job? He is upright and the most righteous in all of his land. And Satan's like, that's only because you put a hedge of protection around him. You got a fence around him. And God says, well, I'll remove the fence and you can dabble with his life and tempt him and test him, but you cannot kill him. And the devil, we know, goes in and ransacks his family and his business and everything around him, even his own health is destroyed. But Job continues to worship the Lord and passes the test with flying colors. Suffering and darkness and temptation and testing in his life did not it did bring him low, but it did not destroy him. It actually leveled him up in his faith closer in relationship with God. Notice God is not the one said to have tempted them, but it is Satan or his demons who do the tempting. But it is God who allows the test. The word tempt and test are seem to be interchangeable 
Yet the test comes from God and the tempting comes from the devil. How does this work perfectly? We don't exactly know how all of the exact details work out, but we do see the picture of Job and God having the conversation. So it does seem that Satan is on a leash and he's only allowed to tempt so far and that the tempting is working through Satan. Satan is the one doing it. But God is on the other side, sustaining his saints and allowing for a test to come forth in order to strengthen the faith of the believer. What the enemy uses to destroy, God uses for good. Interesting. James chapter 1 gives clarity. Verse 12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Notice both words. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, not to say God is tempting me. No, no. James says God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So temptation comes from within, from our sinful flesh, and from the devil or his fallen angels. It doesn't come from God. But James does point out the test in verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing. Patiently endure testing. Um, Whoever patiently endured any test, no one likes a test. You remember that math test? You remember that literature test, that English test? I always loved the math test. I hated the English test. I would fail the English test, but I absolutely love the math test because it made sense to me. All the calculations worked out, and I knew I could fly through it. I'll never forget as a kid when this dawned on me. I remember I was, I think I was in kindergarten. And we played, the, we played this game around the world. And this test was a game. And it was a fun game because I knew I had the answers. And uh, what you would do is there, there were 30 kids sitting in the classroom. And one person would get up behind the other and stand up. And uh, a flashcard would pop up quickly. And then, boom, you would do the addition or the subtraction very quickly in your mind. And the first person to give the answer would then move on to the next person, and we call it around the world. Because if you're able to go through the class and beat everybody in the calculation, you would win the game around the world. And I absolutely loved it because it worked in my mind, and it was easy. And of course, I could win the game. But what we need to see is that in going through the world, really going through temptation, going through tests, going through life, we need to know that we actually do have the answers to this temptation and the answers to this test. That's why James says God blesses those, rewards them, who patiently endure the testing. Are you in a test right now? Is God testing you? We should be encouraged, please. Let's patiently endure the testing. And the Lord will bless us and the Lord will carry us through. It's hard. We are tested in ministry. 
We are tested in family. We are tested in marriage. We are tested in work. We are tested in our neighborhoods. We are tested all the time in life. And you can identify them most of the time. You see the test. But I want you to remember, just like the TV does, you know, boop. This is only a test. The broadcasting network network reminds us that those colored images on the TV were only a test. The world is not falling apart yet. This is only a test. And I think some of you need to hear that today in your life. This is only a test. The world is not falling apart. The Lord has the whole thing in his hands. And I would even say this, even if the world, the sinful world around us does fall apart, We need to know that Christ is beelining right through the whole thing. He has made a way for us to experience life in that abundantly, contentment in Him, peace in Him through all of the storms of this life. Even if all of the world crumbles around me, we have the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ as our foundation, a shelter that we can hide in. It is only a test. It's a game that God wins, praise God. We don't have to rely on our own strength. We rely on Him. James chapter 1, verse 2, James goes on to talk about it more. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Who says this? For you know that when your faith is tested, he says, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That's the NLT, New Living Translation. James is saying you can't grow without testing. I want to grow in my walk with God. Get ready for a test. You can't grow without being tempted. Did you know that? We don't know how strong you are until you are put to the test. Like, I don't want to be tested. You remember having to run the mile in school? I remember that. In junior high, having to run the mile. I was always around 7 minutes, 15 seconds was my mile. Uh, This is as a junior higher. And I remember one time I had broke like the 6 minute 30 mark. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was a huge barrier for me to break and to win that test. But I wouldn't know if I was growing unless I was tested. But then if you look at my French class, uh, you see me failing lots of tests. And you know that I'm getting worse in this class and not doing very well. Interesting, temptation is a way to test our faith to see how we are doing. A litmus test to see how we are doing in the faith. If we are failing temptation over and over and over, day after day, falling into sin... It is a sign that something is wrong in our spiritual walks. If you're getting an F over and over, we need to change something. We need to look at our relationship with the Lord. We need to lean on Him. You can't grow without testing. And so when we see the grade, it allows us to see, hey, I need to start working. Or We see our mile is 18 minutes or 20 minutes because we walk the whole time. We need to see, hey, I need to start growing in that. I want to get that down to 17 and 16 minutes and 15. I want to grow in my walk, in my run, in my strength in the Lord, in my knowledge of the Lord, in my testing of the Lord. 
It's just a test. Martin Luther said this, the great Martin Luther, yes. He said, my temptations have been my masters of divinity. My temptations are my degree. They have taught me so much. He also went on to say, one Christian who has been tempted greatly is worth a thousand who haven't. Put them in the fire. Let's test them to see what they're made of. And this time, more than ever, is a testing of the faith of the church of Jesus Christ. I am shocked to see people waver in the testing. It reveals where our roots are at. The storm reveals it. And many times we don't know how deep the roots go until the storm shows up. It's like, wow, that tree kind of looks like it's doing okay. And then a you come over and you just touch it and it falls over. Oh, it's just newly planted. I guess it doesn't have any roots yet. But then you see that oak tree that's been there a hundred years, just growing deep into the ground, been through hundreds of storms. A giant hurricane shows up and it just sits there. Houses are blown away. Everything is ripped up and it just sits there like what? I will endure this test. The testing of our faith is an opportunity for our roots to grow deeper and deeper and deeper. That temptation... That's what Martin Luther is talking about. He says, one Christian tested greatly is far greater than a thousand who have never been tested. This season of the pandemic, this season of 2020 is a testing for all Christians. Notice the testing of your patience. Notice the testing of your endurance. Notice the testing of your strength. Oh, how we need to realize We are not the ones who are strong. God is strong and I cling on to him to find my strength and my roots grow deeper and I get through the test and I pass it and I move on to the next one. That is how we grow in our relationship with the Lord. Jesus goes from baptism into testing and we get to watch his roots grow deep into the ground. He sets an example for us. It's a beautiful picture. Let's look at what happened. And glean from the Lord so we can know how to pass the tests of God and grow in our faith every single time. Look at verse 2. It says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. Wow. No food. Lots of prayer and time with his Father. And the text says he was hungry. Hangry? You would be hangry, wouldn't you? No, he was hungry. That's an understatement. Was he hungry? Of course he was hungry. I'm surprised that Matthew doesn't write. He was starving. Two things to notice. Number one, Jesus was hungry as we are. This is a connection human to Messiah. This is a connection between us and the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Sometimes we don't think Jesus can relate to what we are going through because he was supernatural. The Bible tells us that God and his infinite wisdom had Jesus come down to the earth to be fully human so we can know that he understands us fully. He was hungry as we are. If we fasted for three days, we're going to be hungry. He fasted for 40. Of course he was hungry. 
It shows the human side of the Lord. He became fully human to understand all the ways of the human race. Did he already understand them? Yes, but to take it a step further, he did it so that we would understand that he understands. He can sympathize with us. He understands. He has been there. Many times you don't want to talk to anybody about a problem that you're dealing with or a great storm in your life unless they've been through it. And if they've been through it, you warm up to them and you want their wisdom. Jesus has the wisdom because he has been through it. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself had gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Because he went through it, he is able to now help us. He understands. Hebrews 4, 14 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin, Hebrews tells us. Verse 16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. Jesus, listen family, the Lord Jesus fully knows what we are going through and he has been tested in every way that we are. And he was tested far beyond what we will ever be tested And he felt everything that we feel in our humanity. And by the Spirit of God, he was able to overcome every temptation to let us know that he is the one who can help us, coach us, guide us, and lead us away from all temptation and pass the test. Like Jesus doesn't know what addiction feels like. Yes, he does. Jesus doesn't know what pain feels like. Yes, he does. Jesus doesn't know what going through that feels like. Yes, he does. It says he was tempted and tested in every respect as we are. Every single one. He was tested to the extreme and he was tested far beyond what we will ever be tested. Jesus is our world-class coach and he is training us. And he, watch this, He's not a coach who has just won a couple bronze. He's won every gold medal there is, and he knows how to train us how to win. And he will train us how to pass every single test, for he is our king, and he is guiding us through this life. He knows what you're going through. You are not alone in your temptation and test. Do not let the enemy or your flesh convince you of that. I'm alone. Nobody else knows what I'm going through. First off, the Lord knows everything you're going through. And second, all of the brothers around you know what you're going through. All of the sisters around you know what you're going through. You are not going through it alone. And you need to know that as a Christian, that everyone is being tempted. Everyone is being tested. Even me as a pastor. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18 again. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing... He is able to help us when we are being tested. Hebrews 14, 16 again. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy 
and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Run to God. His office doors are wide open. Did you know that? They're always open. Eden, my little babe, uh, I love it when she runs into my office. I always leave my door just slightly cracked there so that she can run into my office anytime she wants to. And she comes in, she most of the time wants to get help with something or she wants to ask for something off my shelf. And I love it. I love every bit of it. I'm not too busy. I'm not overwhelmed by it. I love when my little babe comes in to need some help. She wants me to, you know, take a look at this aunt. She, uh, she has an English accent when she says the word aunt. She says aunt. She says, it's an aunt. She, she loves to point at them and find them. And she wants something off my shelf and uh, she reaches for it and wants to grab it. And dad gets to help her to play with another one of those toys. We have a blast together doing so. I love to help her when she is in need. How much more does the Heavenly Father love when His kids come boldly into His throne because they need something. They are in need of Him. They need the Father's help. And He loves to help His kids. He's always going to be there. He's always ready to help. One of the greatest things you could ever do in temptation is cry out to your Father. Run into His office. He will be there to help you. Again, First thing to notice is Jesus was hungry as we are and suffered in hunger greater than us, far greater than us. He was tempted way greater than us. Has anyone ever fasted for 40 days? Anyone? Anyone? I already know. No, you have not fasted 40 days from food. And so Jesus was definitely hungry and he was more hungry than any of us have ever been. That's a great comeback, huh? When the kids yell, we're starving. You're like, did you fast 40 days? No, okay. Then you are not that hungry. Second thing is Jesus went away into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit. All found right here in these beginning verses. He fasted and prayed, seeking his Father. And oh, how we need more of this. We see Jesus doing this often. Did you know that? Jesus, led by the Spirit, went often in the wilderness to pray and fast and seek his Father. We need more of this. Mark 1.35, it says, Jesus, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He gets up before the sun rises, goes out into the middle of nowhere, and just prays with his Father. Matthew 14.23, after he had sent them away, He, Jesus, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He stayed there until it was dark out, and he was there just praying with the Father by himself. Luke 4.42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, and the crowds were looking for him. I love this. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They can't find him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. Don't go. When is the last time you got alone with the Father and prayed? Well, people want me to do this and they need me to do that and I'm busy and this and that. Jesus is like, sorry, I'm out. I got to go get peace. I got to go be with my Father. I need to go be alone. I love this example. The one thing Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them is to pray. They saw him doing it a lot. They're like, man, I think the secret to his power and to his ministry is his prayer in private. The four Ps. Prayer in private gives you power in public. 
They saw the secret to Jesus' ministry. He was constantly away with his father, spending time with him. And oh, how we need this in our society. Oh, how we need this in our lives. Let me ask you, when's the last time you got alone with your father and prayed? Just got alone with him. Go go on a walk. You wake up early before the sun rises, before anybody's up. You go out late into the night when no one else is around and you just get quiet before the Lord and talk with the Lord. Spend time with the God who made you like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Get alone with the Father. You were made to be with Him. You were made to be with your God. And we, we have to learn this discipline in our lives. It should be so fluid that it is not even a discipline. It is a joy. It is a blessing. Sure, the, the rhythms of it feel like disciplines, but the rhythm of it also just feels like real relationship, like a father with his kids. We love this communion with and relationship with our family. Jesus spent time with the Father. Let's look closely at the temptation and the great test. It says, verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, the devil, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man, I love this verse. I memorized this verse when I was at Cal State San Bernardino. I pulled out a little Gideon's Bible, a little green one, and I would sit on the curb there during lunch break, and I would memorize all the verses in the back of that little Gideon. And this was one of them, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I used to tell the kids, it's not the Wheaties that you eat in the morning. It's not the Subway that you eat in the afternoon that gets you going. It's the word of God that causes you to live and causes your heart to beat. Family, what you need to know is there are really only three plays that the devil has that he does over and over and over again. Yep. He has only a couple plays. 1 John 2.16, and they all bleed into them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The devil uses these three plays over and over. So, That's his offense. That's all he's got. You can set up a great defense against him. Just look closely. Watch for him to get you in the lust of the flesh, the passion. Watch him to get you in the lust of the eyes, in the mind, in the heart. And then watch him to get you in the pride of life. Watch him to get you to become arrogant in some area of life. Self-righteousness, knowledge, Success, fame, money, watch him to get you in those areas. And before you know it, he's got you by the throat. Three plays, that's all he's got. Let's look at how Jesus deals with these temptations. Point number one, temptation of the flesh. Jesus is being tempted to rely on his flesh instead of rely on God and his promises, his word. Satan says, hey Jesus, I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. If you are the Son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus replies, amazing. He quotes scripture. The key to fighting temptation. The key to fighting temptation is quoting scripture to yourself, to your mind, to your heart, to your flesh, and to the enemy who is tempting you. Every time Jesus quotes scripture in this temptation, Bible students, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Back to Deuteronomy over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3, he says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. 
which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He made him live by the word of the Lord, manna from heaven. Where's food? We're hungry. We're starving. I will provide for you. I will send manna every day. The words of God. You will live on my words, my provision, my way, not by the work of your own hands. How did they get manna? It just showed up. You will depend and live on my provision and my word alone, not the work of your own hands. I'm going to teach you this, God said. What is Satan trying to get him to do? He is trying to get Jesus to give in to another plan, to derail the plan and mission for Jesus to fully endure as a human. He says, if you are the son of God, why don't you just do a little magic trick? Don't suffer and endure as a human. Get out of the fleshly pain and eat something. Fulfill your flesh. Give in to your fleshly desires. Jesus says, no, the word of God fills my desires. I follow God's word and it brings me contentment. It brings me enjoyment. It fills my stomach. It fills my soul. I don't need the bread of the world. I have the bread of God. The bread of the world doesn't satisfy, does it, family? But God's word does. His promises, His truth, His ways, pursuing the desires of the flesh, the sin of the world, the bread of our sinful culture, that it offers, it brings death to your life and it brings a sick stomach. God's word always brings life. And this is the battle going on here. Notice we have fleshly desires to eat of the bread of the world constantly to fill that, that void within us. We want to fill it many times with the sinful desires and lusts of the world. And we think that it's going to satisfy us. We, eat, we drink that polluted water and we eat that terrible food and it makes us feel sick and depressed and sad and broken and feels and we feel like death but the lord says why don't you just rely on me why don't you trust in my word why don't you live on my promises why don't you feast on the things of me i will be your contentment and this is the battle that satan and jesus are having right now satan is trying to tempt jesus away from the words of god and jesus just goes right after him and says i'm sorry man doesn't live on bread alone That's not, even if I ate that loaf of bread, it's not going to fill me. I need the word of God to fill me. That is what gives me life and sustains my contentment, sustains the peace in my soul. It's not wonder bread. It's not that sweet sourdough from the baker. You're going to eat that and then you're going to be hungry again. We need to eat the bread of life, the bread from heaven, the living water that causes us never to thirst again, the words of God, this is what gives life. Obeying Him, walking with Him, that's what brings contentment and peace. Would the bread taste good? Yes. Is bread bad in and of itself? No. So what's the problem? Satan is truly trying to lure Jesus into a new pattern of life. Obey your flesh anytime you feel its desire instead of obeying God. And that is what sin is. It's just slowly obeying our own desires over obeying God. And fasting does what? It breaks that trend. It says, I'm going to say no to my flesh for a season to say all yes to God. In prayer, I'm going to fast and say no to my flesh so that I can say yes to God. 
Jesus would later say this. I love this verse. John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work, my food is to do the will of God. Jesus says, you know what I feast on every day? You know what my favorite spread is? You know what I love when the chef cooks up for me? My favorite meal in L.A. It's a little spot over in the corner of L.A. It's called the will of God. My food is to do the will of God. My feast, my favorite feast is to do the will of God, to walk in obedience. That brings me peace. That brings this stomach contentment. This is powerful, not fulfilling my flesh, not chasing the things of the world. But that is what we are doing in this culture. We do not eat the bread of the world or fulfill the sinful desires within. We resist the desires within and we live in obedience to God. We've got to stop this in the culture. The culture says, hey man, do whatever feels good. Hey man, you were born that way. Don't you feel that inside? Aren't those your natural desires? Do those things. I know. My natural desire is to murder that guy for what he did. My natural desire is to hate that person. My natural desire is to go and to lust after that person and to leave my family. My natural desire is to steal and to cheat. My natural desire is to be greedy and to hoard and to take for myself. Hmm. If I listen to my own desires and my own mind and my own heart, my own fleshly desires and not the ways of God, I will become sick and die and destroy my life. But if if my bread is to do the will of him who sent me, if my food is the word of God, then I will walk in righteousness and find life. That's it. The temptation is to get you away from God and get you focused on your lustful desires. Jesus is like, sorry, I listen to God, not you devil and not my flesh. Verse 5 says, then the devil took him to the holy city. Temptation number two. Set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Next, we see point number two, if you're taking notes, temptation of doubting, the temptation to doubt God's word. The temptation of doubting God's word. And this is what the devil presents. Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple in Jerusalem, the pinnacle, about 450 feet high at the top and plays on what Jesus responded with, plays on the conversation they just had about the bread. Jesus said, I live and breathe by the words of God, my father, not food here on this earth. So Satan says, okay, if you believe God and his word, why don't you throw yourself down and give the people a sign and wonder, for God says he will keep you safe. And the devil quotes scripture. He says, you only live by the words of God. Let me give you the words of God. Let me manipulate this and work you over. 
The enemy is pulling out the biggest guns that he possibly can. And look at how sneaky he is. Okay, Jesus, you don't live on bread alone, only on the words of God. I'm going to pull out the words of God and I'm going to give them to you to get you to do something to sin against God. He is so sneaky. He has been studying humans for thousands of years. He is way smarter than you. He can outsmart us any day or any time. He doesn't just say, oh, here, here's a giant cake, you know, full of sin. Here, you want it? That's not how he tempts you. He tempts you to deceive you. He comes at an angle that you don't see. That's not how you attack somebody. You don't show up and say, hey, how you doing? I'm going to kill you right now. That's not how you do it. You attack them. You flank them. You, you catch them in surprise. The devil quotes scripture to Jesus. What a moment in the universe. Satan himself quoting the words of God to the word in flesh. Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the devil is quoting. This is how deceived he is. He actually thinks he can deceive the son of God. Psalm 91 he quotes. Do you know Psalm 91? The devil does. Psalm 91 verse 11. He says, For he will command his angels concerning you. Think about the devil saying this. Uh, Well, doesn't Psalm 91 say, Jesus? For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. He twists the scripture to deceive Jesus. The devil knows the scripture and just says, why don't you just jump off the pinnacle? Everybody will see it. They'll freak out. Oh my gosh, Jesus from Nazareth is jumping off the pinnacle. The angels will come come and save you and then everybody will claim you to be Messiah. Why don't you just do it? He twists the scripture to deceive. And the devil knows the scriptures again better than most Christians, but not better than the one who wrote it. And Jesus says back to him, how does he combat it? This is how you dialogue in theological debate and discussion. Someone challenges you with scripture, you bring them back scripture. Jesus says, in quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did in Massa. The temptation is to doubt God's true word and to get you to believe the twisted scripture. He did this in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember? Satan did this little switcheroo. He did this sleight of hand in the Garden of Eden with Eve. Remember, did God really say you can't touch or eat of any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? Did God really say? And then Eve falls into it. And she says, actually, let me see. And she goes and touches it. She forgets the scripture. It says, you are not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, lest you surely die. Touching it would not do anything. But she listens to the enemy. She goes and touches it. Nothing happens. And she says, well, maybe the enemy is right. Maybe Satan, maybe the snake does know something. And then she says, well, why can't I eat it then? And she eats it. And then they die spiritually, plunged into death. Did God really say he will protect you, Jesus? Why don't you test it to see if it's true? A person who doesn't know the word of God may fall into that temptation that they are protected and throw themselves from the pinnacle of the temple and they die. And all those who following them in faith lose faith in God's word because of what was declared was never actually right. It was false all along. But they say, hey, 
I can jump off the pinnacle and God's angels will protect me. Now watch everybody, I'm going to do it. They get God's word wrong and people follow them into it. And then when it doesn't go right, they all turn away from God. That is how the enemy twists scripture. And it is happening in this day and age right now. We see this all the time in Christianity. People try to use God's word to say something it does not say. They convince people that it says this. Like uh, God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That is the blessing on your life, prosperity gospel. That is what he wants for you. And then when it doesn't happen, you sow that seed. You give that amount of money and God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. God's going to heal you no matter what. And then you get cancer and die. And everyone around you praying for you is like, what in the world? They lose their faith because they listen to that preacher who is twisting the scripture. The devil is doing the same thing here, but Jesus catches him. Jesus sets Satan straight by quoting the truth back to him. I'm sorry, you took that out of context. That's not God's promise. That's not what the text is saying, devil. We need to know the word of God so that we are not deceived into foolishness, the temptation of deception in the scripture. It's happening in the church everywhere today. Things that the Bible does not say are creeping into the church today, and it is happening right now in all this political chaos, in all these racial wars, in all this pandemic. There are all kinds of nuances creep, trying to creep into the Bible that the Bible does not say. And this is what I want. Everybody who challenges me in the church and says, well, what about this? Well, what about that? You know what I mean? Where, where does it say that in the Bible? Oh, actually, it says this in the Bible. You're making up all kinds of concepts outwardly that have been built out by all these secular thinkers, and you're trying to insert them in the Word of God. I'm sorry, we don't have time for that. Do not be convinced by anything but the word of God. Study it diligently. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed because you rightly divide the word of truth. Sadly, so many people get pulled away by the clever, cool ideas of the world for a season. Then they realize it's broken and messed up. Somebody jumps off the pinnacle and dies. And everybody's like, oh, maybe that wasn't the word of God. Okay, let's go back to see what God really says. Anchor in the word of God and you will not be deceived. We need to know the word of God so that we are not deceived into foolishness. Finally, the devil tries to tempt Jesus away from the cross. Look at verse 8 to 11 and we will close. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these kingdoms, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Then verse 11, the devil left and behold, angels came and were ministering to Jesus. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, temptation to turn away from the cross. Satan takes Jesus to the highest mountain, maybe Mount Everest, on top of the world. And he says, you know, Jesus, you don't need to do this whole perfect life thing and go to the cross and take the wrath of God on yourself to die for the sins of the world. I'll just give the world to you, fame and status, the worship of them, all of them. I'll give it to you right now. 
If you just bow down to me and worship me right now, the devil says, this is what Satan has always been after. He wants the glory to God that is due to him alone. This is what he got kicked out of heaven for. He wanted to be like the Most High. And the Old Testament tells us that Satan was thrown like a lightning bolt from heaven with a third of the angels who rebelled against God for trying to steal the glory. Satan is trying to stop the plan of God for Jesus' life, his death and resurrection. And the temptation for us that he would pull on us is he is trying to stop the plan of God in your life. And he says this to you, just bow to me and I'll give you the world. I'll give you all the pleasures. I'll give you all the comfort. I'll give you all the setup. You just bow to me and I'll make things real easy for you in this world. We see a lot of people do this, turning away from the cross of Christ to follow the ways of the world. But Jesus quotes scripture again. Praise God. Deuteronomy 6.13, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. We were made to worship, adore, bow down, and follow after God alone. Jesus said in Mark 8.35, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Sadly, people gain the whole world and lose their souls in the process. We see this in LA. They gain the whole world and they lose their soul. Gone. You look in their eyes and you're like, you're dead. Like you got nothing going on. You'll, you'll look somebody in the face and rip them off with no shame. You will crush that person with no shame. The soul is gone. Jesus' temptation was to turn away from the hard road of the cross. The temptation from the enemy to us is to turn away from the cross as well. To turn away from the Lord Jesus and the one who is on the cross and to turn to the ways of the world. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. In, in Matthew 7 verse 13, Jesus said, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it, Jesus says. Satan is trying to convince Jesus to the easy road. Hey, you see all the world, you see all the universe, I will give all of these people fame, status, money, I will give everything to you. You don't have to go to the cross to gain this. You don't have to go to the cross to gain the world. You don't have to go through all that hard road to gain this, Jesus. Just bow down to me right now and I'll give you the deed. Jesus says, no, you worship God alone. The devil tempts you the same way. He tempts me the same way. He says, hey, I'll give you the whole world. Just turn away from Jesus. Just get away from the cross. You don't need the cross. You don't need that anymore. Walk with me and the culture and I will give you the culture. Do what's popular. Jesus calls us to pick up our cross, turn to the cross, and follow Him. Satan would say, come on, man, everybody's doing it. Come on, the whole culture is going this way. Aren't you going to support that movement? Aren't you going to support that way? 
If you are not standing against anything in the culture, you have to ask yourself if you are even a Christian. Jesus stands against everything in the culture. And if you can't stand against something in the culture that aligns with Christ, you are missing the whole thing. I would even take it a step further. If you're not willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, get on the hard road that the West of the world hates, you are not walking with Christ. The devil offers the easy road of the world that leads to death. Jesus offers the hard road to the cross that leads to life. It is not easy to be a Christian in this day and age. I know we are tempted in this city to turn away from the Lord and just run into the ways of the world, but we need to anchor in the one who is life. We need to be the light in this world. The Lord is calling us to wake up and to stand for him against the culture and against the world. I dare you to read the New Testament and to see what Jesus has commanded you to do. I don't care what somebody in the news said. I don't care what that philosopher said. I don't care what that guru said. What has Jesus commanded? You figure out what this narrow road is that he's talking about. This hard road that leads to life. If it's not hard, you're not on it. If it's not a hard road, you haven't found it. It is not easy to survive in this culture, to preach truth and walk in it when the world is against you. In closing, to overcome temptation, I want to give you the five quick tips. Okay, the cheat sheet, okay, for the test. Are you ready? Five things. Get out your notebook, get ready, or rewatch this video in the future. Here it is. Number one, memorize and quote scripture. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. Hide the words of God in your heart so you don't sin against him. Number two, are you ready? Resist the devil and he will flee. Temptation is only for a moment. Resist and he will flee. James 4.7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will. The Bible says so. Quick tip number three. Are you ready? Write it down. Cheat sheet number three. Look for a way out. There's always a way out. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, The temptations in your life are no different than from what others experience. Stop convincing yourself of that. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can handle. More than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure it. When you are tempted, the Bible says it. There's no way out. Yes, there is. God has promised there's a way out. You have a way of escape. Tip number four. Are you ready? Confession and accountability. You want to get away from sin? Confession and accountability. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is written, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Exhortation, confession, and accountability between your brothers and sisters in Christ breaks off that callousness around your heart and gives you a soft heart that is sensitive to the Lord, lest you rebel and fall away. Finally, number five. Quick tip number five. Pray. Pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. 
Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When you are tempted, I dare you to start praying for as many people as you can by name. Just start praying. Lord, I want to pray for this brother. Lord, I want to pray for that. I want to pray for my wife. I want to pray for my kids. I want to pray for my husband. I want to pray for my dad. Start praying and watch how the temptation will leave you. I hope those five tips are helpful to overcoming temptation practically right now. Legacy, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for our church. And I want us to be able to endure this temptation of the world that's going on right now. Do not be swept away by the culture. Anchor in the Lord Jesus. He is perfect peace. He is perfect rest. He is the coach with all the gold medals who has figured it out, passed the test, and won the award. And he is going to walk with us through all of these temptations, all of these tests. And legacy, family, I know you're going to pass these tests with flying colors. You have the Holy Spirit in you to guide you and direct you from day to day. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to fill us and strengthen us through all the testing of our faith. Father, we, we humble ourselves, we lower ourselves before you now. And oh God, I ask that you would please strengthen us in your word. I pray for a supernatural ability at legacy for us to retain your word in our heart that we may not sin against you and to use it against the, the vices of our flesh, use it against our mind, against our heart, against our desires, against the devil, against his demons who try to tempt us, against the world around us. Your word, what has God said is the answer to all of the tests around us in this world. Everybody's throwing all these crazy ideas at us. Your word cuts through it all. We anchor in you. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us to pass these tests with flying colors. Thank you for the cheat sheet. Thank you, Jesus, for already passing the test for us and granting us success in heaven forever. It's because of you and you alone. We anchor in that. We thank you for it. Now strengthen us to endure patiently the testing of our faith in real time. We know we'll be blessed. We know we'll be rewarded. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, family. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. May the Lord guide you and direct you and carry you through the testing of your faith this week. And I pray that it would grow your strength and faith in Him. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.